Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of On Air with the Chair. Today is January 4th, 2023, and the first thing I would like to do is wish everyone a happy new year especially to the person that is sitting across from me, our MEC Vice Chairman, Peter Ruhlman. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, Peter's going to be joining us for uh, some of the topics that we're going to be covering today, uh, which is going to include items like customs pay, elimination of ready reserve, some recent negotiations that we had with a company that didn't materialize in an agreement, but you'll understand why here in a little bit, um, and a few other hot topics. Remember, at the end of podcasts, we typically answer a pilot question from the front line. Uh, you can always email those to edvonair at alpit.org. We did not receive any topics or questions this week or this month, so we're going to leave that section blank. But in the future, edvonair at alpa.org. So a few housekeeping items to start. We have some new national officers that uh, were elected at the most recent board of directors meeting in Las Vegas in October, and that includes uh, Alpha President Jason Ambrosi from Delta Airlines, Wendy Morse, first vice president from United, Tyler Hawkins, VP of Flight Admin, replacing uh, the venerable Bill Couette. Uh, he is from Frontier, and then Wes Clapper, the VP of Finance and Treasury from JetBlue. Rounding this uh, team out is also Steve Mayer, who served uh, previously at Delta as Jason Ambrosi's vice chairman. He is going to be the executive administrator at Alpa National. And our very own Jade Shiwi was elected as the EVP, which is the executive vice president of the B3 group. So congratulations to all of them. And uh, hopefully we'll have a really good four years with this new leadership team. The next topic that I want to cover is some recent changes to KCM. As all of you have been experiencing on the line, the KCM randomizer has been driven up to levels where it's about a 50-50 chance that you're going to end up getting random and having to go through uh, the regular security screening line. But what's more important and germane to this topic today is the stakeholders that are inside KCM, because you may not be familiar with all of the stakeholders. The stakeholders include A4A, which is the lobbying group of the airline management team, uh, headed mostly by the airline CEOs, ALPA, and the TSA. So recently, the TSA met with A4A absent ALPA and ALPA presence and, and ALPA solutions, um, to institute some changes that will fundamentally transform and change the appearance of KCM and maybe even possibly the name and the operation of KCM. KCM has been something that has been a, a very valuable tool for pilots and crew members all throughout our country to try to expedite our way through security. And uh, we would like to be part of the voice and part of the solution if KCM is going to change. So right now, there is a call to action out. And just like any other call to action, we highly recommend that every pilot logs into their ALPA account. Once you have logged in, just scroll down to the left side of the screen and you will see the call to actions. A few mouse clicks will send information to your senators and your representatives, and it's so that your voice is heard on the legislative hill and so that our political action committee can leverage our goals and our strategic objectives in the KCM realm and beyond and be effective to make sure that ALPA continues to be part of the solution. Now, next on the agenda, I'm actually going to turn over to Peter Ruhlman, who is our 
newly elected MEC vice chairman to talk to you about our upcoming January MEC meeting. So, well, Oh, thanks, Nick. I, I don't know about newly elected. It's been three months now. Yeah, it's still pretty new. Okay. So three years from now, it won't be new, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, we're holding uh, a regular MEC meeting. Uh, our next one is scheduled in January uh, for the 23rd through the 26th. We're actually going to be down in New Orleans, Louisiana. So us Minnesotans are trying to escape the cold by going south a little bit and get some good Cajun food. Uh, this is uh, planning to be a regular agenda meeting. Uh, we've got some normal committees coming in and giving presentations, including the communications committee, uh, pilot assistance, negotiation, um, scheduling, safety, hitting all the high points um, during this meeting here. Another thing that we're going to be doing is talking about our strategic goals for 2023 and beyond. Now, just to remind you, these strategic goals or these negotiating priorities are set by the pilot group through uh, regular communication, such as surveys, talking with your LEC reps, and giving feedback through programs like DART. So all of these are going to be examined, and we're going to be discussing what is important to our pilot group now. We've had a lot of change over the past years, and we've met a lot of our strategic goals, and now it's time to reevaluate and get those on paper again. Um, now the top three obviously are industrial representation and safety. We're looking for things that's going to improve our industry as a whole, improve the regional industry, the fee for departure industry here, um, and how we can continue to lead the pack there. Uh, another section of goals, like I said, was representation. How can we better represent you in various facets of our industry? How can we represent you better on Capitol Hill, at Alpa National, to the company, these sort of things? And then really safety is should be number one, but uh, how are we going to advocate for safety in the future um, through different uh, programs like our FOQA, our ASAP. We're looking forward to hearing from these committees as well so that we can better advocate for your safety. Another hot topic for the meeting is going to be committee turnover and our staffing. Uh, as we are a fee-for-departure carrier, uh, it is common for people to come into the industry, join our airline, and stay for three to four years. And after the probationary period of one year at the beginning of your tenure here, uh, that only leaves about two to three years of getting to learn the contract, become a volunteer with ALPA, such things like that. So we turn over volunteers at the association a little bit more than you would say your mainline carriers would. Um, and we need to be coming up with different ideas, different goals and methods of trying to encourage more people to volunteer, finding better spots for our volunteers and just making volunteering worth it. Um, and as a matter of fact, we may be looking for three new reps out of Cincinnati. Isn't that right, Nick? That is absolutely correct. With all of the realignments that are occurring right now at Endeavor as a result of the wind down of the 200, uh, the good news for the Cincinnati pilots is that the Cincinnati domicile, which really was planned to spool up much, much faster than what it really has, but due to COVID uh, took a, a bit of a hiatus, is now going to reach the numbers that uh, Alpa National requires uh, in order for us to spool it up as its own domicile. So what we're going to be looking to do is put a resolution forward to the MEC at this upcoming meeting that will make the CVG LEC its, its own LEC. And right now it is being covered by the Detroit reps. Now, this still is going to require... Well, that would be the Detroit rep right now. Well, yes, yes. that'd be the Detroit rep because <laughs> it is a one-man Austin Peterson show, um, which that is also something that uh, we're trying to address through the normal election cycles and processes. 
Um, but this still is going to require the approval of Alpha National, and so it will still take some time, but we are going to be uh, spooling that up. Some other elections that are going to be occurring, um, January 26th, as we have stated, is going to be the last day of the MEC meeting, and I will be stepping down as the MEC chairman at that point in time in order to avoid triggering a special election, because our next meeting isn't until May, and the MEC chairman position, per the Constitution and bylaws, can only remain vacant for 60 days. And so I will step down Thursday morning. Um, Peter will become the acting MEC chairman for a little while. Are you excited about that? For about five to seven minutes. Five to seven minutes. He'll uh, he'll assume the role and uh, they will, um, the MEC will elect a new MEC chairman, uh, followed by some negotiating committee member election or po- potential elections, depending upon how things shake out, as there are some openings um, in that committee as well. So look for all of that information through our regular hotlines that we put out at the end of each day during our MEC meeting. So the last topic that I want to clear or want to talk about is to clarify some one LOA 134 retro pay issues. Now, Peter, this is something that you fielded a lot of calls on as well. Yeah, I think the the entirety of uh, the MEC and the LECs uh, were working very hard to make sure that people completely understood our position on this retro pay issue. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about retro pay. You know, first of all, it is fairly unusual to get retro pay especially in the regional airline industry. Um, it is really unusual to get retro pay outside of Section 6. Right, so, right. you know, we were we were happy that we were able to achieve at least some level of retro pay. Obviously, we would have liked to have gone all the way back to the American Airlines deal. Um, however, you know, when we broached that topic with the company, they said, listen, you've had an industry-leading contract for the last eight years. You were behind six to seven months. You know, we're not in a position where we're going to go all the way back to the implementation of you know, Piedmont, PSA, and Envoy in their agreements. But then we also brought up the fact that the Delta connection carriers, which includes Republic and SkyWest, both went ahead of us. And that was a point that that resonated with them a little bit. So we kind of split the baby on that because the Republic deal, I think that went into effect sometime in mid-October. The, the SkyWest deal had went into effect sometime in mid-September. And so we kind of split the baby and said, okay, let's start with the October bid period and move on. And that October bid period really started with uh, September 30th. And we agreed. And so that was the AIP, the Agreement in Principle bullet point that pilots would be made whole for the pay credits accrued at the new rates from September 30th on. And there was really no more discussion on that. We went on to the other topics, as we typically do during the AIP phase. Then once we have an agreement in principle, we have to flesh out all of the language, which is actually, ironically, what Delta is doing in their Section 6 process right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have to flesh all that language out into tentative agreement language. And so the way that we wrote the agreement was to say that all pay credits, and pay credits being a defined term in the JCBA, you can find it in Section 2, that were accrued by the pilots in the time period in question, would be trued up to the higher rate that was negotiated in LOA 134. We presented that language to the company. I mean, I'm paraphrasing it a little bit, but that's essentially what it says. The company agreed to that language. They agreed to it in several drafts. We moved on, and we continued to work through other provisions of the tentative agreement. So as we started to close out the TA phase... In order to maintain good bargaining relationships, you're, you're not trying to trick the other side. You always want to make sure that you are on the same page. And so we went to them and we said to the company, listen, 
the way that this is written, and we just want to make sure that you're clear, the way that this language is written, you will have to make whole every pilot that accrued pay credits in this time period in question, including the ones that went to other airlines, not just Delta. And they said that they were not comfortable with that. They would they would true up the ones that went to Delta, but they couldn't true up the ones that went to United or American or FedEx or anywhere else. And we said, well, our problem is we can't treat the pilots disparately. Um, and we do because that could potentially lead to a DFR issue. And so we would have to be in a position where it is in, a, in an all or nothing situation. And we said, we believe that every pilot should be retroed. And we believe that every pilot should be retroed because that is the intent of retro pay. Retro is for services rendered. Now, the company's position was, but everything that we have done and we have been doing has been about retention. Sure, that is true. But in this one circumstance, it is about recognition of past services. That is the essence of retro pay. We're not reinventing the wheel. It is simply the essence of retro pay. And the company was unwilling. So we were in kind of a little bit of a quandary here because, again, the company had agreed to the language, but we also didn't have a final agreement yet. So there's no grievance opportunity at that point. But we did feel like this has been agreed to, this has been closed out. So if we're going to change the value of this, and it does change the value, we should be able to substitute something else in there. And so we gave them a couple of different ideas, but you know, the, the company calculated it correctly. They said, you know, we're not willing to add in or substitute any other value because we believe there's enough value in this package. And we also believe the pilots are going to tell you to go ahead and push this forward because there's a lot at stake, especially with the retro pay. And they calculated it correctly because you guys absolutely wrote us and me and Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. And so they calculated that correctly. And we said, look, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should do it this way. I mean, we, mm -hmm. we have agreed to language. We have agreed upon value. We should at least be able to substitute it. And they said, you know, nope, we think it's valuable enough. And so we put it to the MEC and the MEC said, you know, okay, we're going to go ahead and move forward. But, you know, we're going to keep this in the back of our minds for future negotiations and more on that here in a little bit. Um, but I hope that clarifies a little bit on the retro pay issue for all of the pilots out there. We weren't trying to capture extra. We weren't we weren't trying to hold out or cost you retro pay in any way, shape, or form. We were simply trying to get the company to agree to the language that they had already agreed to. Right. Well, Nick, since since I mentioned Facebook, you know, it, Facebook has been a very uh, big hotspot of uh, common quandaries lately with uh you know, a lot of pilots expressing uh, some questions on uh, things like custom pay and ready reserve. Um, why don't you explain the customs pay for us? Yeah, there was a Facebook post not too long ago, Peter, about customs pay. And the question really came down to why am I only getting one credit when I go through customs on a turn? It's a very legitimate question. I did make a Facebook post about this. So for those of you that you have seen this, this is going to be, you know, old information. But for those that you didn't see this, remember, Previous book, so prior to losing customs pay during the bankruptcy, paid a pilot 18 minutes towards guarantee each time they went through U.S. customs. And that's the key word right there, U.S. customs. So when you flew into Canada, you did not get any credits. When you came back, you got 18 minutes towards guarantee. So if you're a reserve pilot or you're a line holder below guarantee, yeah, you're building your credit to that you know, 75 or whatever the front-end credit window threshold is, but you're really not getting any recognition in that pay. And so during the negotiations, we changed a couple of parameters. First of all, we reduced it from 18 to 12, but we made sure it paid above guarantee. Now, that's very, very beneficial if you're a reserve pilot because basically anytime you go through U.S. Customs, now you're going to receive that 12 minutes. And if you're a line holder that's below guarantee, same thing, you're going to receive that 12 minutes. We also... We're able to remove the word U.S. from 
the from the ver, uh, previous verbiage. However, the company said in order for us to agree to remove that U.S. portion, because that means when you go through Canada Customs and U.S. Customs, you'd be entitled to two credits. They said what we'd like to do is pilots on an overnight, so on a remaining overnight on a RON, they would get the two credits. But if it's a pilot simply on a turn, they would get one credit. And considering overall that that was a better system than we had right now, remembering that under the old book, you were only getting one credit either way. We really thought that that was a, a better system overall. And if we need to improve it in the future, um, as far as the turns getting two credits, we can look for an opportunity to do that later. Now, I will agree with uh, the Facebook group on this uh, on this front. It's probably going to be something that we're going to look to clarify in a contract clarifications LOA because this is the agreed upon language, but it's not entirely clear in the contract. And so we're probably going to put some examples in to memorialize that. Um, so beyond the customs pay, there was another one um, out there that uh, pilots had some questions on, and it was really about the elimination of ready reserve and not the elimination of ready reserve, but how the super seniority ready reserve system played into that. And so Pete, right. you want to talk about that? That's exactly what's been talked about because there is no, um, no debate that super senior ready reserve uh, was a very big benefit to commuting pilots, especially if you were sitting reserve, I guess only if you were sitting reserve, um, but a big benefit to commuting pilots nonetheless. So why would it be that Alpa would sign a deal that would eliminate a benefit for a commuting pilot? Um, well, there's a little bit of a backstory behind, behind it. Our initial proposal to the company was let's eliminate all involuntary ready reserve, which would keep super senior ready reserve. Uh, as an option for our commuters. Uh, the company said, sure, let's do that. However, we are very unlikely to assign these super senior ready reserve volunteers. Uh, and when asked why, uh, the response was along the lines of we need paired crews. And we kind of went down a tangent in that regard uh, to the point where we understood that if we left it in the contract, it would not be used. And remember, Peter, Ready reserve is at the discretion of the company. Right. They have the ability to assign it. They don't have to assign it. And so when we were first talking to them about this, you know, voluntary only, you're right. They said, yeah, we can keep it because it's within our discretion and we're just not going to assign it, which after shoving it down our throats for 11 years, for lack of a better <laughs> term, um, that was a very curious statement. Right. And so we had to have some more discussions on why. And yes, you're right. They said something about paired crews, which I agree with the pilot group you get assigned whether they have a paired crew or not. And most of the time you're getting used off a ready reserve, it's not on a paired crew. And so really they just didn't want to do it. Right. And, you know, at that point we went back and we looked at the pilot survey and identified that 51% of the pilots on property at the time prioritized the elimination of ready reserve as their top priority. And do you know what the second place one was? What was it? 17 and a half percent. That's, that's how big of a gap it was. Huge gap. Yeah. Huge gap. So it was an overwhelmingly large number of our pilots who just wanted to see Ready Reserve gone, period. And that's eventually what we had to settle on. Yeah. And again, you know, we tried to make every pitch in the book. Uh, you know, we said, hey, look, we've got positive space flying going away. We've got, you know, market demand returning. You know, we really need to use every tool that we have to try to make this happen. And for some reason, the, the company was just very obtuse about it. Um, but more on that later, because that wasn't the only time that we've talked about this issue. So it actually came up again uh, during some recent negotiations. So if you remember during the last podcast um, and during the on-air with the chair live call, we said, look, there were certain 
items uh, in the company's ask sheet during LOA 134 that we removed. And those items really revolved around Section 11 changes. Mostly the changes that the company sought were pretty small. Like they wanted, you know, the reserves, uh, the, the Section 11 language for reserves to be changed so that they get a little bit more utilization out of them on seat support days. They wanted the elimination of the day off before the oral because when we wrote that language, the oral was three hours long because we were under a different training program. Now under AQP, it's like 10 to 15 minutes. So it's it's pretty short. And so most of those were fine, but some of the other things that they were, were seeking would have required um, a little bit more time and investment than we had uh, given the time frame for it. Things like FTIs also flying as LCPs. Well, there's huge safety implications. There's huge training and testing. There's huge amounts of guardrails uh, that would need to be placed on that. So the obvious question is, why are you seeking this? And the answer to that was because we are overstaffed in the training department. And I know, you know, Peter, you're an FTI, so I mean, I can ask you these questions. We spooled the training department up in anticipation of hiring. How many new hires was it a month? About 110. Yeah, up to 110 and like, I don't know, was it 70 or 80 upgrades each month? Yeah, and I mean, it got to the point where uh, post-COVID, you know, we hired the FTIs for that number. We've also brought in two new SIMs in the Minneapolis CAE facility for that number. Um, and now it seems that that number has shifted. Yeah, that number has shifted. But why is it shifted? Captains. Captains. We have a captain shortage just like the rest of the regional airline industry. Yep. And so the company had to make the decision that we're going to bring in less first officers to balance captain staffing because it's not going to help them to bring in 100 first officers if they don't have the captains to pair them with to fly the aircraft. Um, it's just going to be a waste of resources, and it's going to take longer for those first officers to get their 121, you know, 1,121 hours and upgrades. So they spooled up the department. Um, I don't know, Peter, I think they had, what, close to 100 seniority list instructors? Uh, 100, maybe 90-ish, yeah. Yeah, 90, 95, 100. I mean, it was a, a very robust uh, spool up. And now they're looking at 2023 with parking the 200s, trying to right-size the dual class. They've said that the summer of 2023, which is you know very important in the airline industry, is pretty much baked in at this point. And all signs point to the fact that we are going to be smaller this time next year than we are today. Right. Um, we're not going to be able to replace uh, the single class with dual class on a one-for-one -one basis. And, you know, we're still going to be constrained by Section 1 and the Delta PWA as far as dual class limitations and the individual capacity purchase agreements at Republic and SkyWest, uh, which, you know, the company has alluded that, you know, there may be some airframes that will be available towards the end of the decade, you know, several years out, but that doesn't really do anything for us in the near term. So, you know, you're overstaffed in the training department, and given the changes that we just made in this recent LOA, especially with instructors uh, moving from, you know, 100 or 105, respectively, for non-dual-called and dual-called instructors to 115 to 125, depending upon their classification of FTI, PCP, and APD, the costs have ballooned. And the costs have ballooned there. The costs have ballooned at Endeavor because of the, the negotiating that we've done and at Delta with you know their impending TA as well. And so they're not going to be able to just carry excess instructors. And so their plan right now is to return those you know 20 or so instructors to the line to right-size the training department and to possibly look to spool that back up in October when we start to have more captains. And so that was kind of the genesis and the reason for this negotiation. Now, what happened during the negotiation? Well, you know, Peter, with your position as the vice chairman on the MEC, you've obviously received all the briefings. So, you know, we can, and the negotiation is over. We didn't, we weren't able to reach right. a deal. So I'll just put that out there, but I, we can talk, you know, very clearly as to what happened. So the company came in and they wanted 
basically to force FTIs to go back to line flying um, maybe one to two months at a time. And I think where we settled, if I remember right, uh, Pete, was they could force them for one month, but then not the second month, and then force them for the third month, but not the fourth month. Right. So essentially it was an involuntary fly month um, with the benefits of still receiving FTI compensation. Um, so you, you would remain as an FTI, but you would now essentially go half and half of your FTI time and your line flying time. And there we had a couple limits set of how many could go between what time periods, a lot of minute details there. For sure. They, they wanted basically no caps, no limits to how many they could send. They, they wanted through the end of 2023, I think at one point we were offering August or September to get them close and then evaluate. Um, and yes, when they came to us first, they said, look, we want to protect their FTI pay, which is not necessarily unreasonable, but they also wanted to protect the fact that they had positive space. They wanted to protect the fact that they have commuter hotels with no caps on them. And we said, look, uh, this is going to be very dangerous territory. It's going to get very close to an LOA 50, which was downgrade pay protection for captains becoming first officers, which was wildly unpopular. I said, I think it might be a, a bridge too far to put somebody on the line at 115 to 125 hours with positive space, just as our pilots lose positive space and with um, um commuter hotels when the pilots don't have commuter hotels. So we're willing to look at maybe protection of the minimum monthly guarantee, but we're going to have to have constraints. You know, they're going to have to figure out the hotels. They're going to have to figure out their travel. And we were going to, we were going to say that they weren't able to pick up open time. I mean, there's no reason that a pilot at 115 to 125 hours should be picking up premium time before people that are at 75 hours have a chance to build their schedules. Right. You know, that, that those were some of the constraints, but Really, the catalyst and the reason that we weren't able to get to an agreement was because the company didn't want to engage in quid pro quo bargaining. And that was somewhat surprising, somewhat frustrating. So we came in there and we said, look, you know, there are, there are some things that we'd like to talk about in return. And, and the first thing that we introduced, concept that we introduced to the company was moving the reserve assignment window from 72 hours to 24 hours. Pete, you want to talk about a little bit about the reserve yeah, assignment window? Reserve assignment window, as I understand it, is if you have a trip in open time, crew scheduling must allow that trip to remain in open time for pickup at a premium by pilots who are already on their off time until this 72-hour window. And within that 72-hour window of the trip's report time, they can then it or assign it to a reserve. And by moving that 72-hour window to a 24-hour window, we're now giving pilots who are on their free time an extra 48 hours to pick up a trip at 150 or 200%, thus benefiting the pilots on their open time and reducing the amount of reserves that are used uh, for assignments that could be picked up. Correct. And we, we looked at that as a quality of life enhancement and an enhancement to the earning potentials of the pilots in, in a provision that doesn't cost any headcount to the company. And yeah, there's there's some extra premium time that they may have to cover as a result of it going to a line pilot and getting paid above guarantee versus a reserve pilot and just getting towards guarantee. But remember, we all always know that a, a premium trip is cheaper than an extra head. Right. 100% of the time. Right. And so we just thought this was a really make sense provision. And the company came back and just said, hey, you know, we know you introduced it in the last negotiation. And quite frankly, they didn't even give us a good reason for not wanting to do it other than there's just enough in this package and we're not willing to do it. Um, but there really isn't that same reason here. This is the only thing that we're asking for. Um, if you remember, this is actually a bankrupt con uh, bankruptcy concession. It used to be a 48-hour window, and in bankruptcy, it got moved to 72. 
That way, if a pilot ended their reserve days at Friday and they started Monday, before they went off duty on Friday, they could have uh, attached a trip to them starting on Monday, given all of the other parameters the JCBA are, are complied with. So we wanted to move it all the way to 24, which is actually more in line with what we see at Delta. And again, there really isn't a cost to this provision and there isn't a headcount uh, issue to this provision. And the company came back and said, look, we're, we're here just to talk about Section 11. Uh, that's, that's Section 25. That's scheduling. That's another department. And we said, well, that's your constraint. That's not our, that's not <laughs> our constraint. Um, but they, they said that we, they didn't really have any ability or appetite to, to change anything in section 25. And so then we tried to reverse gears again, you know, being flexible in negotiations is key. And the first thing that we did, um, the first item that we proposed and Pete, I'll let you talk about this, but was a concept of, okay, if we're going to downsize the FTI department, let's do so through a seniority based system. And that seniority would be based upon time in the department because, what happened, Pete, last time they downsized the department? Well, uh, the company uses a couple different metrics as they advised the association to determine uh, what instructors would remain as instructors and what instructors would be sent back to the line. And it is up to company discretion at this point. This is a question that's been passed around the department a couple times is, you know, do we want to introduce seniority for the purposes of downsizing or even scheduling? Um, and there's a lot of different opinions about this one. Um, I'm sure my opinion isn't the same as others, uh, and it's a good discussion when it comes down to it. So what uh, was passed around a little bit was, do we want to uh, make the future downsizing of this department based on time as an instructor? So if you've been an instructor for three years and you've got someone who's been an instructor for two and a half years, the first person to go in a large scale downsize such as this one would be the more junior instructor and that is aligned with essentially alpa and the airlines uh culture of seniority numbers i mean right now i'm reading a book fate is the hunter i don't know if you've ever read mm. it but a wonderful book about you know uh old old time flying and uh, even there seniority is everything even flying through the himalayas seniority is everything so you know it it begs the question is uh why not in the department as well yeah, and last time they downsized, um, based upon this a logarithm or metric, you know, everyone's going to have a different opinion on who should be downsized, who should be kept, who shouldn't be kept. You know, it's really hard to argue with seniority. And so, again, there's no cost here. There's no headcount issue here. We just thought it might be a little bit more fair of a system. So we proposed that, and then we also concurrently proposed, after they said no to the reserve assignment window, let's bring back super seniority, ready reserve, AM and PM for commutability purposes, because that way the company had was able to see and hear from pilots after we eliminated their disdain for losing that portion of it. And we would have to change it, though, to force the company to assign it if the pilot volunteered for it. And the, the company said no to that, both of those. And we said, look, this, this makes no sense. We understand that you have cost sensitivities. This is not cost. We understand that you can't do anything that, that touches headcount. This, this doesn't touch headcount. And so really the what they're signaling to us through their actions is they just didn't want to do any quid pro quo negotiation. They thought there was enough, you know, I'm using air quotes here, mutual benefit that we should just sign off to the package as is. And we weren't really in a position to do that, especially considering the value that was taken out of 134 at the very end, which was that, that retro pay for the pilots that separated. So we just said, look, between that and between the fact that we're, we're constantly trying to drive improvements here, 
And keep in mind that we are still trying to retain pilots and we're trying to retain pilots against going to LCCs and even other main lines and taking a look at some things that have come down on the Delta TA side, like the 18 hour long call reserve. And they're already at hundred percent long call. I said, we're trying to find any way that we can to make quality of life better. And you should be partners in that with us, because if you make quality of life better here, it organically raises retention and the objections that you're giving to any of these, these ideas or asks, uh, just really don't carry weight when your idea is retention. And so eventually, you know, we just said, look, I don't think there's a deal here. We don't think there's a deal here. And the MEC agreed. And so the company had to make the unfortunate decision though, to then take those 20 pilots and say, Hey, listen, thank you for your service. We really appreciate it. You know, when we spool up the department, if you're here, you know, we'll obviously give you a chance to come back in, but we do have to downsize for cost. And that, and that is unfortunate for those 20 pilots, but keep in mind from an MEC leadership perspective, we also have to protect the integrity of the bargaining process. Right. And we can't have the company just come in and say, Hey, look, here's this piece of paper. We've already figured everything out. We think there's enough mutual benefit. Sign it. Yeah. And that's just not how we do business. And we've been very consistent in that. Well, and as of last week, it does sound like all of the pilots, all the instructors who were chosen to go back to the line have been notified. And uh, it seems like that process is wrapped up at this time. Yep. So it sure is. So that kind of gives you some um, information on some recent topics. Now, the one thing that I want to cover um, as we kind of wrap up this podcast, my, my last one, and I think it's uh, fitting, uh, Peter, that you and I did the first one together. And, and here we are at the last. I get to do the last one with you. I'm glad it's not going to be the last one. Just, right. Just the last one with us. Nope. Our next chairman, I'm going to make sure that uh, we sit down and do these just as frequently, if not more. <laughs> so. I hope more. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but really for the outlook, uh, you know, Peter, you've already touched on the staffing and turnover a little bit. Yep. Um, but why don't we hit that again? Because it is so important. I know a lot of people have asked me. You know, Nick, what what is what is going to happen to the MEC? What are we going to do once you're gone? And, and I really do think you are still going to be very successful. In fact, I think the best of the Endeavor MEC is yet to come, but it is going to require each and every single one of you to step up and play that role. I think the new leadership team is going to adhere to the principles that have made us successful in the past. They're going to take those. They're going to capture those. They're going to keep doing those things. And then they're going to look for fresh ideas they're going to innovate. They're going to look for those new perspectives. And I think they're going to raise the bar even more. But in order to do that, we need to still adhere to people, product, process. And the right. first P is that people. We need the right people in the right position. So on that note, why don't you talk a little bit about that, Peter? Well, just starting from our LEC positions, um, we are seeing a lot of... Uh, positions, representative positions in our local executive councils open. Um, and as we've touched on before, we are now looking at a Cincinnati LEC as well. Um, so if you are interested in getting in, representing your pilot group, this is an elected position. Uh, I was once the Atlanta secretary treasurer. It was a very fun, enjoyable time. Learned a lot about the process, a lot about ALPA. Um, and you get to sit and get your voice heard and get your pilot's voice heard at the MEC table. Um, keep an eye out for these because at, at say, uh, say a mainline airline like Delta re representatives are elected and they're running three year terms at Endeavor. We don't have three years of term in our, 
representatives because we're now going to American and JetBlue and United and uh, fingers crossed the flow. Um, things like this cut that three-year term short. So we're constantly seeing interim positions open as well. Um, I know that there are, are currently openings in Detroit for a captain rep and a secretary treasurer. I think the new term starts in a couple months. Um, we're also looking for a New York captain rep. These interim positions just open and close. So keep an eye out for those. Um, and say so you don't want to run. You don't want to run a campaign. You don't want to, you know, particularly represent a group of, you know, three, four hundred pilots. Um, looking at committees, volunteering. I know I touched on this on the On Air with the Chair Live. Uh, a couple of people said it looked like a Sarah McLaughlin speech. Uh, <laughs> all they were missing was the uh, the sad animal music <laughs> yes. in the back when I was asking for people to volunteer. Um, you but, only have to have, you can you can adopt a Peter for as little <laughs> as $9.99 a month. <laughs> you could become a volunteer for uh, as little as two hours a week of your time. <laughs> but uh, I mean, in all seriousness, uh, volunteering is a great way to get involved um, when I first started I started on the communications committee almost four years ago now uh, just as a website designer and once you get in the association somewhere that you're passionate about you start to learn about the process doors open everywhere I mean I'm very happy to report too that uh, every communications volunteer who has volunteered here within the last I want to say six years or so who went to Delta is now a part of the Delta communications team mm -hmm. Our previous communications chair here at Endeavor is now on the communications team at FedEx. Um, we have people going to JetBlue, Frontier, that are all joining these communications committees. So getting started here, while it may be nice to wait until you're at a main line, this is a very nice, nice place to start. Yeah, because the feedback that I've gotten from you, Peter, when I've talked to you about this is, well, you know, I'm just really focused on getting my FO time and getting my upgrade right. and getting my captain, and I'll just volunteer later. Right. A lot of people want to get 500,000 hours and then move to Frontier or somewhere else and volunteer when they're at their forever home. Speaking of uh, adopting an animal <laughs> at their forever home, right? Um, There's no pun intended there. No. <laughs> but, you know, this uh, volunteering now is a very good place to start. I mean, we have about nine committees currently seeking volunteers. They're always on the Friday hotlines. Um, you're free to fill out a volunteer interest form, or you can even just call or email me personally. Uh, part of my job as the vice chair here is to oversee the committee structure, help out our, our committee chairs uh, with their challenges, organization, things like that. So if you are wondering about any of the committees, please reach out to me personally. Uh, I'm on the Alpha phone tree, shoot me an email. Uh, and we can talk about that. So as we continue going through this year, we are seeing um, a lot of volunteers who are flowing. Number one, we've got flows on the negotiating committee. Uh, shoot, I could list them all. It's, it's every single committee. So each month, we're probably going to be looking to staff about 10 to 15 volunteers in different roles. So there's always going to be a demand for this. Yeah. And if you're looking to, to volunteer at the next level, which is, again, Peter, what we yeah. hear about a lot, remember, you're trying to get those hours to upgrade or you're trying to get that turbine PIC time because you want to make your resume look better. Well, if you want to volunteer at the next level or be involved at Alpha at the next level, especially in, in you know larger pilot groups, 14, 15,000 pilots, you got to build your resume on that that front here too. Right. For those people who are looking for the resume builders, I mean, there is no better place, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, you get to learn skills. I mean, communications will teach you Photoshop, Illustrator, all of these different skills uh, that are transferable to other things too. So, uh, you know, if if you're interested, I say this a hundred times: volunteer form, fill it out, 
give me a call, give me an email, uh, and we can try to stem some of this, uh, this turnover as it comes. Absolutely, Peter. And so what I'd like to leave the pilot group with as far as my recommendations are concerned, um, looking forward, and I will champion this ideology, and I've, I've championed it in the past too. But I'll, Let me I'll, guess what you're going to say, fleet guarantee. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there isn't going to be anything more important, in my opinion, to the success or failure of Endeavor MEC and the Endeavor pilots than trying to enhance our fleet guarantee. And for those of you that are not familiar with what it is or why it is important, let me explain what it is. First of all, a fleet guarantee is a commitment from our mainline partner, Delta, to operate a certain amount of either dual class or single class aircraft at this company. Without a fleet guarantee, and I've often said this, we can have the best contract in the industry. We can have 350 pages that that make us the highest paid pilots with the best retirement and the best work rules and the best commutability and the best retention and the best career progression. But if we don't have the job secured behind that, and i.e. the fleet guarantee, then we are extremely exposed. Now, over the course of time, we've been able to increase our fleet guarantee, but it's never been representative of all of the aircraft that Delta typically operates or has historically operated at Endeavor. For instance, right now, our fleet guarantee is for 109 dual-class aircraft through um, January 1, 2031. So that is our fleet commitment. None of the single classes are covered. And there's a complement of dual class that we've historically uh, operated here that is not covered. And that is why Delta has been able to do some of this wind down um, with the 200s or with some of our other dual class because they have the ability in our scope agreement to do so. Can you imagine the leverage we would have at the bargaining table if they had to commit 180 aircraft here? It would be a very different conversation at the bargaining table. So I get that it's very difficult for most pilots that are in Endeavor um, to understand, well, not understand this concept, but operate with this concept of make sure that you don't forget the long game as you're trying to get benefits in the short game. Um, It's easy to look at the long game when you're your career airline, but when you're here, I understand that most of you think that you're going to be gone in five years, so you want contract improvements that you can spend next month. But just keep in mind that the more or the larger the fleet guarantee that we get, A, the better job stability that you have, okay, number one, and and number two, the more resources in terms of aircraft that Delta has to commit to us, and that really ties their hands and ties their options. And when you do have some sort of catastrophic event, you're insulated or you have an ability to bargain things that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to bargain for. So just keep in mind that a fleet guarantee is going to be something that this pilot group really needs to focus on, I think, over the next uh, two to three years. All right. With that said, uh, Peter, that's my last on air with the chair, sir. I can't believe it. Thank you so much. I, I think, is this the point where I turn COM2 to 121.5 and just go, meow? Yeah, that's exactly it. No, you'll be doing that on Delta soon. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think there I got to go, you're on guard. You're on guard. Yeah, I think I got to do that. Or maybe I got to make my uh, you know descent announcement. On yes, one- your PA. Yes, there Perfect. you go. <laughs> so, you know, pilots, I just want to say uh, one more time, thank you so much uh, for allowing me to be the negotiating committee chairman here on the negotiating committee for five years, the NC chair for four, your MEC chairman for the last three. Thank you for allowing me to lead and go out and get our collective strategic objectives. I think it's it's fair to say I'm leaving it better than I found it. And I think I also can say with a high degree of confidence, when the next leadership team leaves, it's going to be even better than it is today. And that's what is most exciting to me. So uh, hope all of you fly safe and be safe. And I will see you out on the line at Delta. Take care, everyone.
Send everything to 531, runway 28, quit land.